Hi, this is Aaron Orlando reporting for the Revelstoke Mountaineer. I have Donald Luxton um, on the phone uh, uh, from the Lower Mainland. Uh, Donald is a heritage consultant uh, with Donald Luxton and Associates. Uh, a couple years ago, he did a heritage study of uh, Revel the Revelstoke City Hall building, which is an uh, um, um, important building of its era uh, for Revelstoke and for BC, as we'll learn out in a little bit. But first of all, uh, Donald, uh, thanks for uh, speaking with the Revelstoke Mountaineer, and uh, 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 welcome to the show. My pleasure. Thank you for uh, having me today. Okay. Uh, Donald, so the reason we're calling you today is yesterday um, the, the tarp came off of the 2nd Street uh, renovation, uh, the, the new side entrance at City Hall, and I know you've had a chance to see a photo on the internet. Uh, first of all, what's, what's, uh, what's your reaction to, to the new uh, side upgrade to the building? Well, I'm certainly glad to see that some upgrades are um, beginning to happen with the building, and this was a very good functional upgrade of the building. The area where they've introduced the new entry is the old um, entry to the fire hall. The building, when it was built and opened in 1939, was combined city hall plus fire hall. So the fire hall has, of course, since moved, although the great landmark fire um, hose drying tower is still there, uh, which gives the building so much of its great prominence on the street. Um, but this is an, what we would call in heritage an adaptive reuse or rehabilitation of the building to provide uh, continuing and ongoing um, useful occupation, which is great. And so uh, it's good to see that um, that work is proceeding. Okay, so um, let's go back. Um, the reason we're talking about it now is because um, upgrades, both the interior and the exterior envelope of the building, are are up for budget discussions at the you know the city of Revelstoke budget. Uh, but about and I'm, I'm sorry, about eighteen months ago or two years ago, something like that, you were commissioned to do a heritage study of the building, where you went in there and studied its heritage values, as well as uh, and prepared a comprehensive report, which which I've read. Um, tell us about this building. Who you know? Tell us about its designer and what it represents, and and uh, what you found during the study. Well, it's it's actually one of these amazing buildings that that is shows up uh, across Western Canada, and uh, frankly, there's not a real precedent for it, and, and it's an unusual and unique circumstance that this building was ever designed and built in the, the way it was, and, and it has a great deal of, I would suggest, architectural value as well as historical value to Revelstoke, and what's, what's unique about the building is it was designed by a Vancouver architect, um, uh, Charles D.K. Van Norman, who went on to a very uh, illustrious career. He was a very uh, important architect in the development of Western Canada. And this building was um, quite unique for many reasons. And it's one of the very first examples we have in Western Canada of what we would call the international style, which uh, we now kind of take for granted. Of course, we're used to seeing these kind of modern buildings that were built after the war in the late 1940s, 1950s, and 60s, but this building was open in 1939. It was built before the war. Um, truly a precedent-setting building in terms of the clean lines and asymmetry and, and the um, very, very um, 
handsome and restrained detailing of the building. It's it's a remarkable structure, and to no surprise, it's been recognized by the city of Revelstoke as a heritage building, and is on the city's heritage register. So I, I think that alone tells us, quite frankly, that you know people do recognize the the incredible heritage value of this structure. And um, when I did some research a couple years ago working here as a journalist in Revelstoke, uh, I, I'm originally from Vancouver, and, I, and when I researched CBK Van Norman, I certainly recognize some of his uh, prominent buildings that he's done in Vancouver and, uh, and, and know that they're big and prominent buildings, and it's uh, interesting to know that he uh, was working here. Do you, do you tell us a little bit more about how it came about? Do you know how he... Uh, how he got this contract to, to, to do this building? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's pretty clear in the documentation. The um, uh, Rebel Stoke was, uh, City Hall was in an existing building that was an older structure that had many structural problems, and it was pretty clearly recognized that they were going to have to move forward and do something to um, either rent or build a new building. And uh, the city fathers at that time were looking at this um, development of a, a, a city hall and fire hall, and we're soliciting architectural opinions, and Van Norman was very young at the time. He had, was born in 1907, so he was just 30, 31 at the time when this commission was being talked about. Um, to no surprise, given this is kind of the tail end of the Depression, um, a lot of people did not have a lot of architectural work. And apparently when Van Norman heard about this, this contract that potentially was available, he went after it very aggressively. He wanted this project. He really wanted to design this building. And the, um, when he was in Vancouver, he'd actually worked for the firm of Townley and Matheson, who designed Vancouver City Hall. So he was certainly familiar with their work and how that project unfolded. And when it came time to design this building, he took an entirely different approach. It was he was beginning to explore the very beginnings of the international style and early modernism and. So he looked at this as commission as an opportunity to um, really develop his architectural vocabulary. And he was very influenced by the European modernism of the time. He was very uh, aware of what was going on in Europe and with the Italians and the rationalist movement that really was looking at function determining the, the form of the building. And so if you compare this building to opened in 1939 to Vancouver City Hall, for example, opened in 1936, which is very modern, but very symmetrical and, and a very different structure. You look at this building and it is like as modern as you could possibly get at the time. It was apparently quite startling and a number of his very early buildings were. So here's this 30, 31 year old architect who's really looking for work and he's aggressively going after this commission and he gets it and he's giving it his best shot to turn it into an architectural landmark and I think he succeeded and so from that point of view the building is a real um, historically important but I think from you know as we look at it from an architectural and academic point of view it's also one of the key landmark modern buildings of Western Canada of the time and here it is in Revelstoke, which is not known for its modern architecture. And so the context of it 
makes it even more surprising. And uh, so I think what is really interesting from that comes out of that discussion is also that the the city fathers of the time also accepted this design, saw it as very practical, and it came in and on budget and fulfilled what they needed from a functional requirement. So everybody was willing to accept this very very startlingly modern building as a sign of progress. Now, speaking of functionality, in the years since uh, the fire hall has moved out and is across town and, and the office, that space was renovated into additional office space, um, over the past uh, year or so, that uh, fire hall area has been uh, renovated and is nearing completion, and, and that includes the inside uh, as well as the outside area, and, and uh, there's also further um, possible plans to do more renovations, such as uh, the, the front entrance, not on the outside, but on the inside, and then there's the, the, the thing that led us to your study in the first place as a uh, uh, as a community, and that is, um, there was a proposal to to wrap the building in sort of an insulated foam and and uh, or insulated uh, board, and and that has uh, raised uh, concerns from a heritage perspective whether that's appropriate or not. Now the city is exploring again what to do with the exterior of the building, uh, how to fix uh, the, the envelope, which is falling off in some points. Maybe let's look at the outside envelope. What is the significance of, of, uh, of it? And, and how come you can't just uh, maybe put an insulation board or paint over it? Or, or, or what state is it in right now from an architectural um, perspective? And what's important about the exterior cladding? How do we, how do, we do, it, do it right? Well, maybe we should just wrap the uh, legislative buildings in Victoria with a bunch of stucco on top of their stone surface. Or maybe we should wrap the marine building in a stucco blanket to improve its thermal performance. I mean, for heaven's sakes, how stupid can you get? And what has been an ongoing discussion about this building really does not recognize, and this is stated very clearly in the report that I submitted to the city in February 2013, that the idea of this stucco blanket on the outside of the building is absolutely not necessary and so we worked very closely with the engineers who were hired to do the exterior um, and building envelope assessment reed jones christopherson one of the most reputable companies in western canada we worked with them very closely on this project and they looked at a number of solutions, and one of them was the what's called EFIS, E-I-F-S, um, exterior application of foam and stucco uh, on the outside of the building as an envelope upgrading performance measure. And basically, they say in their report that it's not necessary. So especially given the fact that it really harms the heritage um, appearance of the building. So if you think of what is important about the building uh, as it was opened in 1939 it was a very clean line modern crisp um, modernist design and the stucco blanket is going to obscure the corners the shadow lines it expands everything outward um, and it gives it a different texture and frankly again it's not necessary so this is all clearly documented so the fact it would still be considered as Perplexing, to say the least. Okay, so so here's my question, though: Is um, originally it had a concrete exterior, and and was the the 
the and I'm sorry, it's probably not called stucco. I don't know what the word for it is. There is an additional. Um, some sort of a, 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 a stucco-like material that is troweled on the outside. Is that original or has that been added afterwards? There was, the original was, was concrete, and um, which was sacked and rubbed smooth. So it was an incredibly smooth finish uh, and painted. And then over top of that in 1972, there was a rather misguided attempt to add a um, polymer-based stucco on top of it, basically an acrylic stucco on top of it, which is failing. And... Um, it was just kind of buttered on top of the building, and it's starting to delaminate. And and it doesn't really accomplish anything. And it, it does some of those same things that the ethos application would do, which is it obscures the original sharpness of the detailing. It gives it the wrong texture. Uh, it, it, it extrudes the building out so that the windows are set more deeply than they should be. There's just a whole bunch of things about it that just, are, are not, not working. So one of the things we looked at in the 2012-2013 reports was to take that stucco off and then what do you do once you take that old stucco off? Um, then you <clears throat> can either put more stucco on it, which is the EFIS application, which again is so detrimental to the heritage value of the building, or you can approach other alternate compliance methods. So it's not really necessary again to do this. And so one of the things that the Regions-Jones-Christofferson report actually says, if you read the reports, is that the building would last indefinitely as long as the stucco was removed and it was painted and maintained. So uh, from a heritage point of view, we can see all kinds of reasons why you would just, you know, restore the outside of the building. And then there are things you can do on the inside that might improve performance. And frankly, we get much better for performance with improved mechanical systems than we do with dealing with the envelope. Mm-hmm. Um, and as part of our analysis, we looked at what would happen if you did wrap this stucco blanket around the building. And frankly, it contravenes the heritage standards and guidelines that we should be using for heritage buildings. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and I do remember this, you know, I do apologize. It's been a while since I read the report, but I do remember it talking about energy efficiency and savings and basically arguing that, you know, putting the EFIS on the outside really wasn't going to amount to a whole lot of savings. Like, I can't remember the details beyond then. So, I, I with the taxpayer in mind, are you saying that an option here, the best option is to uh, remove the, the, the extra... Um, polymer-based stucco, or for, for lack of a better word, that was added in 1972, yeah. take it back to the original th- original concrete covering, paint it. And I remember in the report it actually detailed the original color of the paint down to the maker and the serial number right. of the paint. Um, and and uh, I guess, uh, is that uh, an inexpensive option uh, uh, to do it that way? Is that going to be, I'm assuming that's going to be cheaper than taking off the exterior and then putting something new on. Uh, tell me more. Yeah, well, I think, the, first of all, something has to be done. So, I mean, you know, the people that are looking at this issue have to, you know, look at it from a number of different points of view, as we always do when we're, looking at upgrading heritage buildings and maintaining them. Uh, You look at cost, you look at performance, you look at durability, and you look at impact to the heritage value of the structure. And frankly, I think one of the things we do need to put up 
front here is the fact that there is heritage value to the structure and it's been accepted by the city on the heritage register as having heritage value which is detailed through a statement of significance so we use the statement of significance to assess what the impact would be on these exterior alterations mm -hmm. and frankly the if there was a huge impact to insulating the outside of the building and it solved all the other problems well maybe you would say gee we have to hold our nose and make this change to this heritage building but Frankly, that's not how the technical information sorted out. The technical information said you could do this, you could insulate the outside of the building. The, the, there was a certain improvement that came from that, but, there, but given the impact on the building, were there alternatives? And yes, there were, and they had nothing to do with exterior alterations. They had to do with some interior alterations, mechanical upgrades, etc., that had much more to do with actually respecting the heritage value of the building. So given the fact that there's no compelling or overwhelming reason to wrap the building in stucco, it seems to me that there is no reason to do it. <laughs> and so I don't know how any, you know, it's clearly stated in my report that, you know, the, the application of an exterior coding to the building contravenes standards and guidelines and an impact and affect the heritage value of the building. Why would you do it? Okay. okay. Um, I, th I, I think I've got that clear. Now I'm going to switch to the inside of the building. The, the, yeah. the old fire hall um, is being, the office space is being renovated. The HVAC system is being redone um, to basically uh, the, the focus was on improved customer service as well as um, uh, mobility access, as you know, there's that big flight of stairs on the front, and and uh, that's yeah. not accessible, and uh, as well as trying to um, get the uh, frontline services on the front line instead of uh, um, making customers uh, to City Hall walk all over the building to find the department they're looking for. Uh, um, so that the fire hall part of the upgrade is is nearing completion. What about the rest of it in terms of renovating upstairs where the admin office is, upstairs where the engineering is in the back corner, or the front uh, lobby area, the main entrance area? Is there is there risks here in affecting the heritage value of the building? Um, uh, what's, give me your input and your thought on, uh, or maybe any cautions you have on on how to proceed with that from from the the uh, heritage heritage perspective. Well, actually, unfortunately, a lot of the interior has already been altered, and we have some wonderful photographs and show what it originally appeared like. And actually, we have some amazing documentation on the building because all the original plans and specifications are available for it. So we know exactly what the interior looked like, and we know that it's been changed pretty drastically, actually. And so it's lost that very wonderful modernist aesthetic that it once had. So frankly, I think the opportunity here is in the hands of a skilled designer. You could accommodate change to the building, and there's no... Uh, you know, there's no reason some, sometimes not to change things for functional reasons, and it's already been altered. So what you could do is you could put back some of the original character just by being, you know, cognizant of what was there and trying to 
work with the style of the building rather than fight against it. And actually, there's a few areas that are pretty pretty intact. The stairwell um, um, is actually pretty good. The the original kind of monumental stairwell is missing its light, but you know, like you could put certain things back there and and recapture some of the character. And again, that's not going to affect the the function of the building and the fact that there's an accessible entry at the side now is is good. I mean that that increases the functionality of the building. So it's how you do it, not whether or not you do it, and also what sensitivity you have to the to the historic context. And most of the interior changes that have occurred have absolutely not been sympathetic to the building. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think there's an opportunity to actually work with it and recreate more of a sympathetic context. Okay. Um, Donald, um, one of the things I notice when tourists or visitors come to Revelstoke, they'll often snap a few photos of the, the main drag on Mackenzie Avenue. Um, they often like to get a photo of uh, the modern bake shop and cafe, which, which is right next door. Some of them will include City Hall in their uh, photographic keepsake that they tag with Revelstoke and post on Instagram or Twitter. And a lot of people go to great length to cut out the City Hall building. Um, I'm guessing that's... Uh, expressing an aesthetic preference um, um, and, and, and to be honest with you you hear people in Revelstoke say I don't like it it doesn't fit it's not the not the right building um, where are we um, in in the fashion cycle for for architecture like this uh, um, the, you know there, there are some a lot of detractors for the building um, I'm trying to get, sort of get your feeling on, 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 on what you say to people when, when they say, hey, I don't like this style or that doesn't fit with, with, with Revelstoke. Well, I, <laughs> I don't think Mr. Van Norman's intention was to give you something that looked like it fit in with Revelstoke. He was trying to illuminate the way to the modern world. I mean, I, I'm sure there were people in 1939 who didn't like it. This isn't really a question of like or dislike. It's a question of, you know, we our cities are made up of, of a variety of styles. And, and, you know, we we also can't look at this as, as being something that, you know, I, when people say, oh, I just don't like it. It's like, okay, that's fine. There's buildings I don't like in the city, but the city is a collection of architecture and it's a collection of, of sites that tell us about different time periods, different styles of buildings. There is that, I don't know of a city that's so consistent that it can't accommodate a variety of, of architectural styles. This building happens to be a modern landmark. And what's interesting about that, frankly, if we look, do look at the cycle of acceptance right now, is modernism is the hottest thing in town. Mm -hmm. um, we, if you look at Modernism Week in Palm Springs, which is a, in its tenth year now, vastly growing event, um, interest in modernism has never been so high. So, you know, the fact that Revelstoke possesses such a gem should be treasured. It sh should be featured. It should be sold to the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, 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 I know that people sometimes struggle with modern buildings because they find them. They don't have the detail of Victorian buildings. They don't have the fussiness. But, you know, this is a different type of building. It doesn't take away from 
the 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 more traditional architecture in its context, it sets it off. It's a contrast, mm-hmm. and I think it's a wonderful contrast. Uh, I, uh, just to uh, provide a connection, uh, a very well-known uh, mayor, um, uh, Dr. Jeff Battersby here in Revelstoke, his son has uh, gone off to live in Vancouver, and he's uh, a well-known, um, I believe, uh, uh, modernist architect, uh, David Battersby of Battersby Howard. I don't know. Battersby and Howard, of course. And uh, I'm, I'm sure if you asked uh, uh, <laughs> David Battersby his opinion on this building, it would be favorable <laughs> because that's the type of architecture that many um, of the younger architects are looking back to now. They're being inspired by early and classic modernism and the international style because it is exactly what they're trying to achieve in their own careers. Okay. Well. Um, Donald, we're going to have to go back and do a little bit more research. We're going to have to obviously review your report one more time, but you you have shown us some light at the end of the tunnel um, and that we can uh, better on, as, as I understand it from talking to you today, we can better honor our heritage by uh, going with the original concrete look. Uh, that could possibly be cheaper because we don't have to uh, resurface the building and, um, and it, would, it doesn't have uh, that much of uh, uh, energy uh, negative on that one. So maybe uh, this has been a very fruitful call since the the budget ask is about half a million dollars to do the exterior. And I and you know I'd have to check uh, where we're at with that one, but uh, that could be a big help. But one more question: What color should we paint it when we're done? Well, we uh, as part of the report, you know, it's very interesting. We took our task on this project extremely seriously. I was not in a position where I was coming into it and saying I had the answer and we had to do this or we had to do that. We worked very closely with the engineers to try and come up with some kind of mid-ground, reasonable approach. And frankly, we felt that there was a lot of reason to think about restoring the original finish. So to take the existing delaminating stucco off and just clean up the concrete, like deal with it as the way it was built. And there was a lot of information that said if you did that, then frankly, there was no reason to add anything to the outside. So if you're going to do that, you have this amazing opportunity to make the building look like it did when it was built. So crisp, clean lines, really beautiful detailing, simple structure, and we determined the original color was a very light ivory color, which was so common to the international style in Europe, and which is not surprising that we found that. It looks in black and white photographs to be white, but of course it's not white. Mm. It's a very light and warm color, which gives the building a real uh, kind of authority Um, and crispness, and then the trim color was a mahogany color on the window frames and detailing, and again, a a lovely contrast. I think the building would be so handsome if we just did something so simple as just clean it up and paint it its original colors, which is exactly what we recommend when we deal with Victorian buildings and Edwardian buildings as well. All right, Donald Luxton is a heritage uh, consultant with Donald Luxton and Associates based in Vancouver. Donald, thank you so much. It's been illuminating. Uh, thank you so much for talking us talking with us today.
My pleasure.